electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. Today, the Nasdaq is outperforming for a change. Is it a bottom or just another head fake? We're going to talk about that. Is it time to be aggressive or passive? Why one guest is a buyer today and another says, wait it out. Later on, billionaire Orlando Bravo will sound off on crypto. Pretty interesting setup this week, Dean. It was, and we're going to kick things off with a look at tech stocks as the Nasdaq. Yes, it's outperforming today, but it continues to hover just a few hundred points off of those June lows. The key number there is 10565. While some things will head lower with big tech names like Amazon and Google now almost 40 percent off their highs, other people are calling for a bottom here. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us with more. Uh, Mike, Nasdaq starting kind of coming off. It was up as much as one percent now, about eight tenths of a percent. What's going on today? Yeah, do we have a, a near approach to those June lows? Very widely watched. Sometimes the first time it tries to get down there, uh, it, it bounces almost by reflex. We're seeing a little bit of the benefit of that. Still, very much remains to be seen. I like a three-year look at the Nasdaq 100, just to put all this in perspective. So the June lows are right here. Uh, I like also to t- check out this October 30th of 2020 level, which is right about where we are, uh, or really just below where we are right now. It's it's actually just uh, a little bit above 11,000. It also somewhat coincides, I'm just going to draw that line, with a 200-week average, a very slow-moving, longer-term uptrend line, 1,000-day moving average, which is also right around 11,000. So in theory, uh, we have the entire uptrend from even before the COVID crash that uh, that now perhaps is nearby, could be support, could be a little bit of a moment of truth. Now, the key when you have some kind of a retest of the major indexes is to see what's worked better and what's worked worse since that date. So here since June 16th, you see some of the subcomponents of the overall tech tape, uh, how they've performed. And in general, uh, you've actually had the S&P 500 down about uh, two and a half. So, well, this is from, uh, I guess, the start on June 16th. But the point is software and semis have underperformed since that date, whereas Apple, we keep talking about how it's just uh, essentially Apple against the world and how it's been holding up better. And that's given more support uh, to the NASDAQ 100 and to the overall uh, tech sector indexes as well. But under the surface, You've actually had an undercut low uh, for the software and semis area, which in theory, if we're getting a broad bounce, they should bounce a little bit more. Less uh, discussed, perhaps, is biotech. It's a completely different formation. It was an underperformer through much of this year. Take a look at the year-to-day chart here of the XBI, the S&P Biotech Index. Here you had a May and June. Looks like a, a retested low there, and you're well above that right now. Obviously, biotech kind of moves to its own dynamics, not so much as much about the macro uh, and what's going on in uh, broader growth stock investing. But it is interesting that that sort of took its pain earlier and seems for now uh, to be faring just a little bit better, John. Yeah, it's great temperature check. Uh, Mike Santoli, thank you. Now, a headwind that's important for tech's recovery is the strong dollar, the dollar index. Now, trading at its highest levels in 20 years, going back to 2002, Steve Kovac joins us with a look at the impact on big tech. Steve. 
Hey there, John. Yeah, a lot of these big tech names have a lot of exposure in the countries where the dollar is the strongest, and they're already protecting themselves against those FX headwinds. One of the key concerns executives warned about last earnings season. Let's let's break it down by name and give you an idea what each company is expecting on the Apple front. No price increases in the U.S., but the iPhone 14 is more expensive in countries like the U.K., Germany and Japan. Apple last week also announcing an increased app prices throughout all of Europe and some South Asian and South American countries starting next month. Meanwhile, Apple also opening up iPhone 14 production in India this week earlier than usual to keep that supply up. And over on Meta, speaking of price increases, Meta raised prices of its virtual reality headsets to fight those FX and inflation headwinds. Also coming out with a new and more expensive headset next month. Uh, Meta CFO warning last earnings, the metaverse segment revenue will take a 6% hit this quarter from foreign exchange headwinds. Meanwhile, over at Microsoft, already saw that strong dollar hurt them last quarter, shaving four cents off of EPS and maybe more pain to come with CFO Amy Hood saying last earnings FX will be tougher through the end of this calendar year, but improve in the first half of next year. The question now will be if Microsoft starts increasing prices throughout Europe to protect their margins. And with Amazon and Alphabet, those two names sounding a little less dire than their peers, at least last earnings. Alphabet CFO not getting too specific, but saying to expect, quote, an even larger headwind from foreign exchange in the September quarter. Amazon CFO saying FX will hurt revenue, but noting impact on operating income, quote, is not significant. And guys, earnings season is coming up and we're expecting to get more color from these execs as conditions continue to worsen. I'll send it back it to you. Sure is that earnings season, Steve. We are getting ready Believe for it. it Thank you very much. If you're trying to navigate the volatility, well, our next guest says to bet on future growth on Shopify, UiPath, and Coinbase, despite their 70% plus drops year to date. Joining us now, 645 Ventures co-founder and managing partner, Namdi Okike. Namdi, it's great to have you with us. Good morning to you. Uh, oh, great to join he, you. Thanks for having me. Key question, which I think everyone's just trying to figure out, is how do you value these companies with potentially very good growth prospects, but little to no profits? What should they be yeah. worth? I think you've got to look at the long term. Uh, these companies are clearly growers um, and there's a long term potential for the businesses. So Shopify is a great example. Uh, today, they only have about 10 percent of the total shop, uh, the total e-commerce stores uh, globally. I think there's a lot of growth potential there. E-commerce is only 20 percent of retail. I think it's going to continue to grow as well. So I think there's a lot of future growth in the business and they're still just scratching the surface in terms of the potential. And obviously, with higher interest rates, that kind of uh, reduces future cash flows. Uh, but I think over time, the business is going to thrive. There's a lot of growth opportunity for the business. And they've also got a good underlying uh, profit profile. So the companies break even today. But, um, you know, there's a lot of potential for growth and profits over time. So it's really a growth opportunity. I think the market's overreacted in terms of discounting growth. And I think when you're looking well, at tech stocks, you have to think about future potential more than anything. But but did they overreact during the pandemic in those prospects for growth? I mean, I know that you pointed to Shopify, but take a Coinbase. If you're buying yeah. it for growth, revenue declined 64% in the second quarter. It lost a billion dollars. What are you buying yeah. here? How are you valuing it? Yeah, so Coinbase is an interesting story. Uh, they're very, very exposed to uh, trading changes in terms of crypto. And obviously, with uh, the crypto market cap really dropping overall, uh, their revenues have taken a hit. Uh, clearly. And I think over the near term, they will still be below, say, where they were last year. But I think you have to think about the long term potential. So about 13 percent of Americans today own crypto. 
I think that's going to grow definitely over time. The penetration is going to grow. Uh, Coinbase is obviously one of the biggest exchanges. They have multiple businesses um, within their portfolio. Um, and they're pretty aggressive in terms of how they think about future potential. So again, I think it's more of a long-term macro bet there. When you think about crypto, what you've found over the past uh, decade is there's been three uh, major drops. And typically, those drops are 70 to 80% of the market cap of the total market. So they're very dramatic drops. But over time, the growth is far above that over the long term. And so I think that's what we're seeing now is, again, a near-term drop. They've been heavily impacted. But over the long term, I believe more and more people will own crypto. Not to mention, there's going to be a lot more practical applications of crypto. And I think that's also going to catalyze their growth. So I'm a long-term believer in their potential. Yeah, that's a big part of your bull case, more practical use cases for the yes. average person. And I wonder mm-hmm. what, what do you think that's going to look like? Because we, you know, a year ago we were talking about buying pizza with it. But I wonder, is, yes. that, is that trajectory, that use case trajectory still intact? Yeah, so there's a couple of areas that we're looking at with 645 in terms of applications. We have one company called Scion Digital. Uh, they enable uh, traditional companies to accept crypto as payment as well as collateral. So you have a lot of people who own crypto today that want to do certain things with it. For example, get a loan, buy a car, buy a house. Uh, Sign enables them to collateralize that crypto and actually use it in a practical application like that for for getting a loan. So I do think over time there's going to be a lot more applications than there are today uh, for crypto. I think you're just really starting to see areas uh, of growth. I think the industry needs to really focus on that. I think there's been a lot of hype and, and potential and not really a lot of like concrete business models, but I think that's changing. I think there's a lot of founders out there that are working on real projects. I think you see a lot in DeFi, decentralized finance is probably the biggest area, but there's a lot of interesting projects there. And I think like, again, you see in technology, these waves where there's the hype cycle, um, a lot of early adoption then, and then a crash. And then the resurgence is typically where you see like real companies come out of. So I feel that's going to happen over the next couple of years. Namdi, I want to go back to publicly traded stocks, growth stocks in particular, and the filters that you're using to decide what's worth buying here. Because I I still kind of get flashbacks to the early 2000s where the same arguments could be made about, well, you know, these things have come way down. But then it took years in a lot of cases, even for good companies, to come back from the the levels that they fell to, Microsoft, one example, and quite a bit of reorganization and and innovation along the way. So how do you decide what's a more likely grower? What are the metrics that you're using to determine health and the ability in a reasonable time frame to grow enough for the stock to have to react? Yeah, that's a great question, John. I think there's a couple different elements. What you've seen so far over the past, say, six months is pretty dramatic drops, 70%, 80% of market cap. So it will take a while for these companies to get back to those levels. But we think a lot about what's the next couple of years going to look like and is a company a good buy based upon fundamentals. So we think a lot about multiple of revenue. We think about whether a company is profitable or on a path to profitability. Um, And then we think about kind of long-term potential adoption. So I always go back to what's the current market size and what's a company's penetration? And then how big does that market get over time and what could their potential penetration be? So the analogy might be when you think about Amazon back at the time of the dot-com crash, e-commerce penetration was very, very low. It might have been less than 5% of retail, and Amazon was a dominant player there. But again, the market was small compared to today, where it's 20% plus of retail, and their growth was really catalyzed by overall market expansion, right? right, as well as their growth in terms of percentage of ownership of that market. So I think you can apply the same framework to that. So thinking about, again, 
how big is the market going to be? What's the growth rate of that market? How, yeah. When does it get to mass market as well? So today there are certain markets where only the new entrants, so to speak, are using it. But over time, it becomes a mass market opportunity. Right. And then the last piece is, again, quality of business model. Like at scale, is the company, is the business model sound? So mm-hmm. what are the gross margins of the business? What are the underlying profit margins? What's the customer acquisition costs? Things like that. And those analyses help you kind of tease out the ones that could be winners that are maybe undervalued today. Mm-hmm. Though, Namdi, we, we certainly hear that Amazon analogy a lot. We have to remember, though, that there was a lot more Cisco's than there were Amazon's companies that never again regained those peaks. Yes. Thanks for being with us. Hope to talk to you Thank again you. soon. Appreciate it. Still ahead this morning, the outlook from the C-suite. CrowdStrike's George Kurtz is going to join us next as cybersecurity names across the board continue to fall. Don't go anywhere. Tech Check is just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Not just Gavin Newsom taking shots at Lyft, but now UBS as well, downgrading the stock to neutral today over skepticism on the company's ability to deliver top-line growth in line with competitors. Also cites some rising insurance costs beyond Q3 as a risk factor. Stock's getting beat up a bit today, trading around $13 a share. A long way from its IPO at 78. They do move their target, John, to 16 from 50. Uh, So quite a revision. Yes, indeed. And we're going to turn now to cybersecurity. Hacks on Uber and Rockstar Games putting new focus on the sector in recent weeks and part of a bigger trend across tech, according to our next guest, out with a report showing a 50% surge in threat campaigns year over year. Let's bring in CrowdStrike co-founder and CEO George Kurtz for a closer look. George, great to have you. I want to talk a little bit about CrowdStrike's business first, though. Uh, You got this security platform that allows customers to manage uh, kind of point solutions for security, even do a try before you buy sort of motion that lets you upsell. How do you see customers behaving differently in an economic slowdown, if at all? Well, great to be here. And one of the things that we absolutely see, and we hear it time and time again from CIOs and other executives, is the need for consolidation. And uh, people want to spend more with 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 vendors uh, that can consolidate where you can take out two, three, four different products. Uh, and with our modular format, we have over 22 modules today. We can replace other modules, uh, other products out there and then consolidate that spend. So that's one of the key things that we see in a in a challenging macro backdrop. You also recently uh, did an acquisition. You, you've been acquisitive. Does that mean that it's a more attractive environment in which to do that because you have a way to turn some of those technologies into modules that customers will upgrade into? Is that a growth strategy for you particularly in this period? 
Well, absolutely. And uh, when you look at the current environment and uh, even the private markets, the environment, uh, the valuations are, are, are going to you know, be down or, or flat. And um, it's going to be a while, I think, before a lot of these private companies can get out in the public markets. So you know, we see that as opportunity. And uh, we got a great uh, company that we acquired, Reposify, which is focused on finding uh, external vulnerabilities in companies. And uh, it makes sense to then uh, create it, uh, you know, uh, recreate it in our platform as a module and then offer that to our customers. And, um, you know, very, very warm reception from our customers at Falcon after we announced that acquisition. Hey, George, it's Deirdre. Good to see you. Um, have you, you seen any slowdown or greater scrutiny from any of your customers in the recent weeks and months? Cybersecurity is seen as much less vulnerable to a softening in spend and macro backdrop. But is that actually playing out at CrowdStrike? Well, I, I referenced this on our last earnings call. We saw some uh, additional uh, signatures and scrutiny because the deals tended to be a bit bigger. We were focused on consolidating that spend. And, uh, you know, when you have bigger deals, you're going to have more approvals and it's going to go higher up in the chain. Uh, and we call that out. But in terms of security and uh, the need, uh, we had a, a great interview at our Falcon conference uh, with the uh, CIO of Salesforce as a customer. And, uh, you know, it was just focused on the fact that security is just a boardroom uh, topic. It's something that's incredibly important. And uh, it's hard for organizations to scrimp on it. And I think we're going to be in a fantastic position to be able to help consolidate that spend. Right. So greater scrutiny because the size of the deals are growing larger, not necessarily because of the economic softening. Is that right? Well, when you think about the macro back backdrop, I mean, there's always going to be additional scrutiny uh, probably across the board. But, you know, what we've seen as the deals get bigger, you're just going to have more sign off. And, uh, you know, that's just part of the nature. But when you have a great product and you have 150 percent ROI in the first year, uh, we think we're selling value. We know we're selling value, and that's a big part of our uh, efficient sales machine that we have, and and how we, <clears throat> excuse me, how we've been able to grow so quickly. Uh, George, you note in uh, a report that Overwatch tracked a 50% increase in interactive intrusion activity year over year. Now, uh, it's not like last year was slow. So, what is driving this? What's your sense of that? We talked about, um, you know, intruders taking more of a platform approach, being more economically interested uh, in kind of harvesting data and using it for economic gain? Is there actually economic growth in uh, the intrusion department, even as there's an economic slowdown in the broader economy? Well, absolutely. As times get tough, uh, you know, the bad guys tend to come out even more. And when you think about something like ransomware as a service, I mean, let's just think about that, ransomware as a service, you can actually buy a subscription, just like a software subscription, to a ransomware provider who will help you uh, try to uh, install that malware, activate it, and then uh, each individual e-crime group can then monetize that with a revenue share back to the ransomware operator. Uh, and that's how this industry has grown. So it, there's just so much money involved. Uh, it doesn't take a lot of skill when you can actually buy these services. And with enough time and patience and, uh, you know, uh, enough uh, phishing emails and, and the like, you're going to have some level of success in many companies that are underprotected, uh, which is why we've seen it grow so quickly uh, as a service. Yeah. Troubling development for sure. George Kurtz, thank you. Thank you so much. 
Tech names, public and private, continuing to wrangle with layoffs and cutbacks. Instacart, the latest name, making headlines this weekend after the information reported the company was letting go of staff, slowing hiring and curbing other expenses ahead of a potential IPO, where the company will need to convince investors the company can maintain its growth and make a profit amid the macro weakness. Um, Guys, there's a lot about the financials we don't know has only been reported, reportedly had a profitable quarter. So we're trying to read the tea leaves here. Um, And if you look at this sort of relative to other tech companies like a Robinhood or Coinbase that are doing sort of more massive layoffs, this sounds more like a slowdown, which they kind of alluded to earlier on in the year. Again, until we see that S1, guys, um, it's hard to know what position Instacart is in, but, you know, reportedly we could be getting that as early as the end of this year. Yeah, profitable quarter, gap or non-gap, right? It's a good question. And then uh, if they, in fact, do an IPO, are they going to get enough cash, enough capital to continue to fuel the business, or is this going to be mostly to cash out existing employees? It seems like they're having to cut before it, they could use the cash. Yep, uh, still raising capital, and it'll be interesting to see whether the IPO market uh, wants to reward growth, as has historically been the case, or whether profitability is a much larger piece of the equation, guys. Uh, Pretty interesting story there. Meantime, NASDAQ more than 30% off the highs, but are there names to buy here? We're going to discuss after the break when we're back in just three minutes. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and John Fort. Checking in a couple hours into trading here. Dow has lost some of its early, uh, seemingly uh, nascent momentum. We were green for a little bit, but uh, now down about 200 points. We were getting close to 3,700 on the S&P, currently 3,675. Are there names worth buying here? Our Dom Chu has a breakdown. Hey, Dom. So, Carl, Deirdre, John, when it comes to the market downturn that we've seen, it is about whether valuations are attractive or whether we think that they're going to fall even further than where they are right now. So many traders are starting to look at whether or not earnings in the forward 12 months are going to be at a point where maybe the price today is a little bit more attractive. So if you take a look at the S&P 500 versus the Invesco QQQ Trust and the technology sector spider, we know that technology has been driving a lot of the downside action for the indices here, especially for the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. But as things stand right now, one critical component of that particular set of indices is the technology sector, the biggest in the S&P 500. At current levels right now, you can see the S&P 500 technology sector on a forward price-to-earnings basis is roughly around 19 times that level. Now, at the highs here, we were at 28 times forward earnings, and at kind of the lows back in 2019, it was roughly 14 times those earnings. So we're kind of towards the middle of that range, but still at 19 times. Are there names that are trading at a discount to that level? Well. Out of the 76 stocks in the S&P 500 tech sector, you've got roughly 42 of them that are trading at multiples of 19 or below. Among the names that you might recognize are Adobe Software after that recent sell-off, just around 19 times forward earnings. Advanced Micro Devices trading at 14 and a half times forward earnings. IBM 12 and a half. Cisco Systems 11 and a half. 
and roughly five and a half for Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, which is, by the way, the cheapest on a forward price to earnings multiple basis in the S&P 500 technology sector. So those five names are amongst the 42, again, out of 76 that are trading below market multiples for that sector. If you want to know what the rest of those 42 are, just head over to my Twitter feed, John, at the Domino. I've listed all of them up there for you and your perusing pleasure, John. Back over to you guys. Yeah, so interesting to see Adobe just making it under that ceiling, uh, if making it is the right term. Dom, thanks. Uh, Time now for a news update. Let's get to Bertha Coombs. Morning, Bertha. Hey, good morning, John. The British pound is holding on to gains after sinking to a record low against the dollar. Concerns about tax cuts funded by government borrowing also drove British bond yields higher. Two- and ten-year gilts touched their highest yields since 2008. In Germany, the four leading economic institutes reportedly expect a recession next year. High inflation fed by natural gas prices is eating into consumers' buying power. A key economic indicator has fallen for a fourth straight month to its lowest level in more than a decade. Oil prices, meantime, are recovering after hitting nine-month lows. The strong dollar and concerns about a slowing global economy helping fuel that drop. West Texas crude neared $77 a barrel in volatile trade. It's now up at about $79 a barrel. And NASCAR great Jimmy Johnson says he's retiring again. Sort of. 47-year-old seven-time NASCAR champion will step away from full-time racing and definitely won't race another season of IndyCar. But he still plans on doing some bucket list events, including the 24 Hours of Le Mans. It's hard to step away, Carl. That's funny, you know, Serena Williams, maybe now this, maybe there's retirement is fluid. Bertha, thanks. (laughs) Bertha Coombs. Uh, Investors, meantime, continue to look for places to hide amid the market swings. Our next guest says to ride out the wave in cloud and enterprise tech stocks. Wilmington Trust, Megan Shu joins us this morning. Megan, it's great to have you. I'm pretty fascinated by this thought of yours that the time to reduce risk is probably over. Yeah, Carl, I think that's right. I mean, you're looking at an S&P 500 that's down uh, about 23%, retesting the lows. If you look back historically at a mild recession, um, you know, defined by a a moderate increase in the unemployment rate, the average pullback has been about 24 percent. So we're basically there. And and I think, you know, for all the negativity out there, it's always hard um, to see what could turn the story around. uh, And the market is going to turn around before the story turns around. So we are avoiding getting too defensive here I think you're starting to get that mild recession uh, more adequately priced into markets. Now, I don't think we're getting any sort of a currency crisis or, you know, broader spillover risks priced for that. I think you'd see the market go um, potentially significantly lower, but that's still not our base case. Um, and and we're, we're staying invested at these levels. Um, you do point out that if, if we begin to price in some kind of contraction on earnings, um, it's likely to be mild in your view because of the balance sheet strength of corporate America and and this well-known idea now that they've uh, started to hunker down in advance. Yes, this is a really unique um, set of events because typically it would be very unusual for the market to bottom uh, this uh, this much ahead of a potential recession if you're assuming that any potential recession is going to come in the first half of 2023. This much ahead of the Fed 
uh, pausing from their rate hike campaign and moving towards easing. But this is different because the Fed has so well telegraphed what they intend to do. And you do have the market pricing in a peak Fed funds rate of call it 4.6% as of today. And we think that is pretty darn close to peak hawkishness, which could pretend, uh, present some opportunities uh, going forward um, for parts of the market that have been beaten down. Hey, Megan, but isn't the market also, you know, pricing in a potential pivot at the end of the year? And would that be too optimistic? I noticed as well, um, you kind of mentioned your your base case scenario is that a recession will be moderate, but it feels like the markets have started to think that it could be a harder landing, more severe. It's definitely a risk. Um, and actually, a recession is not even yet part of our base case. We think it's pretty much a coin flip, whether we do get a recession. But if you look at the backdrop coming into this, you know, inflation has been the big concern, but consumer balance sheets are still in pretty good shape. Corporate balance sheets are still showing elevated cash levels. And I think that plays into what is going to work and how long it's going to take to get through this. I mean, we could have a recession where the unemployment rate goes from 3.7 to 4.4% or 4.1%. Or that would still be a, a very full labor market by many standards. And so I think as you think about the spillover effects and how deep it could be, um, you know, not having a lot of those areas of excess and potential bubbles that need to be worked through the system, that's what usually takes a long time for recessions to play out. Megan, you sound, you sound so much more optimistic um, than I think some of our previous guests and than what the markets have kind of been doing over the last week. It's refreshing in a way if you think that this is the bottom. But what makes you so confident as well that the Fed isn't going to overshoot? You pointed to the strong consumer. Certainly we've heard that from some of the big consumer uh, CEOs that we have on Tech Check. But is that just, you know, another shoe that's going to drop in the coming months as chair uh, as the Fed chair says that he wants to see more pain or he needs to see more pain from businesses and consumers. Yeah, Deirdre, well, I'm more optimistic today than I was in the summer um, when the whole narrative that was driving the market with the Fed topping out at three and a quarter and then starting to cut rates, that just didn't feel right to us. So the fact yeah. that we do have the market pricing in a very aggressive Fed at this point um, we do have the market starting to price in a mild recession. I think it suggests that going forward for those long-term investors, we could certainly have more pain. Um, and if you're looking for earnings, you know, the earnings shoot a drop, so to speak, with a little bit of a pullback in, in earnings next year, then there could be further to go. But we think that we are definitely closer to the bottom than to the top. And if you look out a year from now, you're going to want to be in the market um, and you're going to be wanting want to be in some of the areas like tech that have been beaten up so much and tend to lead in and out of a recession. Well, we like our shoes to stay standing. Uh, no dropping, please. But I also wonder about Q4, right, and this demand slowdown that we're seeing and the potential ripple effects of that. I, there's been so much attention paid to just interest rate hikes and the impact on stocks. I mean, the actual slowdown seems to be taking hold both for consumers and for businesses. If that goes farther than some expect, we could be looking at an, an entirely different start to 2023. How important is, is the Christmas season, the holiday season, to your base case? Well, the fourth quarter is definitely going to be important, as you point out, from a consumer buying power uh, perspective. And they do have less purchasing power, clearly, today than they have in prior uh, holiday seasons. 
Um, but as we look forward, and, and there's definitely a potential, you know, with midterms coming up to see a little bit of a, of a relief bounce around that. I think earnings will be very important because we haven't really seen a big reset, but the environment is changing so rapidly. And we've seen that in terms of the really quick uh, about face that some companies, whether it's Walmart or Target or FedEx, have had to take when it comes to providing um, updated guidance, even just from a few weeks earlier. So I think this could be um, really, this earnings season could be really big on headlines. But again, I think we're pricing in um, a good deal of that potential weakness, and it's not guaranteed that the market has to trade negative on on, uh, a headline twice. Hey, finally, Megan, um, in terms of energy, uh, a lot of losses uh, recently in Brent, West Texas, Nat Gas, gasoline, even some European energy. But you're remaining long that space, right? That's right. So we have a slight overweight to energy stocks. Um, and the reason behind this being that if you look out over the next year, we think the supply environment is going to remain quite tight. Um, you know, we've gotten the oil market and energy markets more broadly pricing in recession risks here in the U.S. and globally. But, you know, if we look at the uh, China um, zero COVID policy and the potential, not guaranteed, but the potential for that to relax a little bit, um, the IEA has about 2% cut to uh, China's oil demand this year and a 6.5% growth next year. So there's a potential swing there um, that could support energy. Right. Interesting. Uh, Megan, that's a a lot of work we just did uh, going through some playbooks. Appreciate it very much. See you soon. Megan Shu. Thank you so much. Well, the tax man cometh and he's coming for tech. Why Amazon and quite a few other names, tech names, could see their tax costs skyrocket next year. That's after the break. Don't go anywhere. Dow's down about 186 here. Uh, The pound obviously had a very busy morning, and there was some speculation there'd be a statement from Bank of England. And in fact, uh, they did say that they're monitoring financial markets very closely and would not hesitate to change rates if needed. Quote, the bank is monitoring developments in financial markets in light of the significant repricing of financial assets. We'll keep our eye on that and its effect on the global asset prices. Meantime, let's turn to Amazon, uh, ranked alongside Berkshire as the two names that'll be hardest hit by the inflation. Reduction Act. The bill's new 15% corporate minimum tax set to take effect in January. Researchers at the University of North Carolina estimate it could cost the company as much as $2.8 billion, uh, at least according to numbers from 2021. Very interesting, D. Uh, the impact is that uh, deadline's getting closer and closer. Yeah, so it essentially links taxes closer to publicly reported profits, and it could take into account things, guys, uh, like stock-based compensation. Hard to argue that that's fake because it would account for this and could lead a company paying the new tax, John. Yeah, I think it's also possible, though, that this disincentivizes companies like Amazon from spinning out something like AWS, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because then that's more likely to be extra profitable, perhaps, and... uh, you, don't, you might not want to report so many profits uh, if, if you're going to get taxed on them uh, based on that three-year period. Uh, interesting. We'll see how that, uh, how that affects investment planning. Still to come, Apple, the only FANG stock still positive over the last year. But is the name running out of steam? We will discuss. And a quick programming note as we head to break. It is almost here. CNBC's Delivering Alpha returns in person this Wednesday. Here with the world's top investors have to say about navigating this market Again, the QR code right there on your screen to register. I'll give you a moment to do it. Tech Check, back in a moment. 
Michael Burry says the work from home boom may have doomed the job market. The big short investor turned to Twitter, returned to Twitter, writing, quote, the white collar employment bubble is bursting right before our eyes. The longer it takes the redundancy to disappear, the more permanent the decline will be. Work from home will be seen as a culprit. Carl, eh, I kind of agree. I, the problem is people can work from home, but managers aren't so great at team building remotely. Uh, that's certainly, uh, you know, team building, D, or as Andy Jassy told John in a famous interview more than a year ago, not good at innovation either. This may be very millennial of me, but uh, I would argue maybe not the culprit, but the scapegoat there. We'll see. Uh, meanwhile, watch Twitter today. Lawyers representing the company are set to depose Elon Musk over the next few days ahead of the October trial that will decide if Musk must go through with his announced purchase of Twitter. CEO Prague Agrawal is scheduled to be deposed today as well at a law office in San Francisco. And this building actually won market. Stock has actually held up better than most the last few months, up about 6%. 5% since May. Stay with us. We'll be right back. iPhone 14 in stores now. And as consumers jump at pro models, Apple is poised perhaps to cash in. The average selling price for iPhones projected to hit more than 900 bucks per unit for the first time ever by the fourth quarter per counterpoint research. Our next guest is among the bulls, maintaining an outperform rating on the stock. Joining us now is Evercore ISI's Amit Darianani. Uh, welcome. So I remember when a thousand dollar iPhone seemed crazy, but apparently uh, inflation and, and other things considered not so crazy anymore. My main question is, how much room does Apple have to pivot in the quarter and shift production toward the higher end models? Or are they going to remain supply constrained, even as demand seems pretty strong? You know, um I, I, so I think there will be a supply constraint that will kind of permeate throughout the quarter for them. So I doubt they're going to be able to resolve it. Given the fact the Pro Max, the very high-end phone, for example, is actually the most successful phones Apple had in the last seven years now. So some fairly remarkable stats on that basis. Uh, the one thing I would say, though, in their defense is I suspect they knew some of this was going to happen, right? So if you look at the way they've staggered the phone launches, the Pro Pro Max is earlier, the Plus, the more sort of average phone that they have, if you remember the 14 is going to come out next week. So I think they've staggered this enough to ensure they have enough supply. Uh, but certainly so far, it seems that the demand is far outpacing the supply that they have. Now, I mean, if I remember correctly, last year, a holiday season sale suffered somewhat from some stores being closed. And I think particularly the watch might have suffered there. How much might the comps benefit from the upsell opportunities from people who are going in to get a phone but might walk out with more than that? Yeah, you know, this, that, that's a really good point. So not only are we seeing from the work we've done that, you know, folks are gravitating towards the higher end models on the phone, the Pro Pro Max. Uh, what we're also seeing is the attach rates for things like Apple Watch for Apple uh, AirPod Pro is at an all time high. So I, I, I do think this whole ecosystem, the platform narrative will hold up really well. And so far, it seems at least from the initial survey work that the attach rate for these variables is fairly high right now. I mean, uh, we saw some research today suggesting as well that the demand for the Watch Ultra is pretty robust. I just wonder, is, do you think of the watch as a, as a method of onboarding into the ecosystem, or do you really have to own the, the phone first? Well, you know, that, that's a great question. My, my gut is, for the most part, people need to own, own the phone first to get the benefits of the watch in its entirety, right? Uh, the, the, the one area where I think the watch will resonate a lot with folks is, if you have you know, potentially younger kids that you want them to have some way to in, uh, interact with or communicate with without giving them all the social media that comes on a phone, uh, 
Apple Watch becomes a phenomenal solution. So in a way, you might be convincing kids to use the iOS devices a little bit earlier, first by Apple Watch and then over time with other devices they have. That's interesting as a, as a gateway, perhaps, through the kids. Um, Amit, while we have you, I want to ask you about IBM. I was reading your note. It was interesting. You were talking about potential M&A, um, $20 billion in dry powder, but you think that they could potentially be gearing up for a big deal here? Yeah. Listen, IBM has talked about they have a fair bit of liquidity. We say it's $20 billion. If you look at the free cash that they can generate, by the way, uh, over the next three years, it could be $35 billion, $40 billion kind of number, right? So there's a lot of liquidity there. Uh, I suspect the management team has had a lot of success, feels confident, uh, post the Red Hat deal, right, which I think a lot of folks were skeptical about. It's ended up being a fairly successful deal for them. I do think there's a second deal they'll do. Now, the question I think will be, do they do one large deal, which I think would be very logical given the valuation uh, correction you've seen in the software assets over here, or do they do a bunch of smaller deals, right? So the note we had was kind of sizing up the different deals they could do. Uh, I do think the appetite would be to do one larger deal closer to the Red Hat style that they did versus doing a multiple smaller ones. Well, that dollar goes a lot further in the, in the markets these days. Uh, that, that's one area where inflation is not exactly working in the way one might expect. Uh, Amit Darinani from Evercore ISI. Thank you. Thank you. Throughout Hispanic Heritage Month, we are celebrating our CNBC teammates and contributors. There's Lato Advisors Chief Market Strategist Gina Sanchez's story. The benefits of being Hispanic is that it is a naturally inclusive uh, culture. You can come from many different racial backgrounds um, and be classed as Hispanic. Um, the challenge to that is that it, it can, can create uh, divisions and a lack of cohesion within the community. And so the Hispanic voice um, sometimes comes out fractured or doesn't come out as strong in one direction or another because it represents so many people. So I think as a culture and as a community, we have to think about how we're going to channel um, our voice and what we're going to channel it toward uh, so that we can have the maximum impact. NASDAQ did have a 1% gain earlier this morning, has given back a lot of it as we continue to see a wild chop, but a lot of the losers uh, de-centered around uh, some media and some biotech um, as we continue to see just whipsaw action. NDX down 10% in 10 days. Yeah, a little bit of a bounce today, but as you said, um, giving up most of those gains. One more thing before we go, billionaire co-founder of Tomo Bravo and Bitcoin enthusiast Orlando Bravo making headlines after a new interview with the FT on crypto, saying that he's disappointed to find that the sector is, quote, not as ethical as private equity to date. Bravo's been a strong proponent of crypto, investing $150 million in Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX last year and building stakes in four other businesses in the sector. He is now pausing his firm's investments in other crypto companies. And he didn't mince any words on why, guys. He said, quote, I've gotten to know the crypto world a little bit more, and some of the business practices don't rise to the level of ethics that we're all used to in private equity with your investors and your customers and your community. And that has been a bit disappointing. Um, interesting sign of the times, guys, that big private equity guys looking at the ethics in crypto. Um, but certainly it's been on a wild ride this year. That's all I can say. It has. And it makes one wonder uh, why Sam Bankman-Fried feels relatively comfortable to, to try to bail out firms. Who, who knows what the actual mechanics of that are, Carl. But private equity, however you might feel about it in general, um, th those that are good at it, 
uh, have built their reputations on being consistent and having a model that they operate under. And we will have to see whether crypto develops that same kind of reputation over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Orlando Bravo, I guess uh, you could probably argue, I know David Rubenstein of Carlisle gave an interview to the Times a few weeks ago, D, in which he gave Bravo quite the shout out as being one of the one of the best in a new generation of investors. So we'll see how his radar plays out uh, amid various playbooks in the years to come. Overall, I mean, that's not going to be a busy week for earnings, D. We're going to get Nike and Paychex mm-hmm. and Micron uh, and CarMax and Carnival. But uh, it's just a smattering of earnings before we get to October 12th and Pepsi and the season begins. It's going to be much more driven by FedSpeak. We mentioned earlier today some 22 Fed speakers just in the next five sessions. Yeah, though, though the earnings this week will be important. I mean, Nike is a big consumer name. We talked about this a little earlier on, John, but the consumer has been very resilient, especially at the higher end. So what Nike says is going to be pretty key before the earnings season gets into full swing in a few weeks from now. Are investors listening to Fed speak now? Because for a long time, they were just, you know, la, 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 la. <laughs> uh, but, but now, with the market reaction, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe investors so. are listening uh, as things get more volatile. We'll see. Yeah, Morgan Stanley's note today, Mike Wilson, who's been, of course, directionally bearish over the past several quarters, literally writes in the note today, can you hear me now? Uh, His argument, of course, is that investors, it's taken some time and much more simple language from the Fed, uh, but clearly beginning to figure out that uh, the Fed is serious about bringing inflation down. Pain, uh, one syllable, four letters. Yeah, (laughs) yes, exactly. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.